Richard Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. To convince a child to keep walking, try switching roles with them. Let the child play the role of the parent. They'll immediately do what you want them to do. You are raising in your home people that the Bible is very clear about their status. They need to be converted. Not just a conformity of their behavior. They need a transforming encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate priority. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Want to get a black belt in the art of disagreement this is wretched radio lots of opportunities to correct folks to point a finger and tell them they're wrong especially when you're like me always right the question of course is how do we do it biblically not culturally not socially, not even biologically, which incidentally sound like the three categories Dr. Greg Gifford used. If you have not heard his podcast, Transform with Dr. Greg Gifford, please get it. It Honestly, the first episode was really good. They just seem to be getting better and better and better. He's a biblical counseling professor. He hosts our Transform TV show. And he's now doing a podcast. I'm telling you, he is slamming it out of the park. It is so helpful. It, it is, it's not to suggest there's no teaching per se. There is. But it's mostly application. How to take what the Bible says and bring it right down to the road, right outside your doorway, and live the Christian life. It is so good. And he's talking about biblical manhood. And the categories that he gives, if you recall, these are so helpful. you got biblical definitions. You have got biological definitions for what it means to be male. And then you got cultural. And this can get super tricky. It's not easy to be a man in a culture that is screaming at you to be a woman. Yes, I'm digressing, but I'm telling you, I got to play it, Jimmy. The, this, this, is, this was just from the introduction of Greg Gifford's manliness, how to be a biblical man. And he's focusing not on, not on the biblical right now, but on the challenges of culture. Culture screaming at you, sir and madam, telling you how to behave. They do it when it comes to the art of discourse. This is how a man talks. And we're we're picking up some of those cues inside of the church, aren't we? You, you've got such a variety. You've got these squish bombs. Well, I don't want to say anything because, you know, the world might not like us. On the other hand, you've got some Christians who are like, sit down, shut up, and take it because I know the truth. Which voice do we listen to? That's that's the challenge. And the answer is we got to listen to the biblical voice, because if we just listen to culture, look out. We are not going to be biblically balanced. This is Greg Gifford on manhood talking about cultural influences. In light of your culture, in light of your preferences and even in light of your own tendencies, manhood can deviate towards your own culture tendencies and personal preferences. So if you're not careful, you begin to think of what makes a man a man based off of your own context and how you envision manhood. Some of you have been blessed with really godly, strong men in your life. And you can look at those individuals and say, that is what a man looks like. And you might be right by and large. Maybe there are aspects of what they do that are godly, strong, manly characteristics. 
And yet others of us, we don't have that privilege. Uh, We were raised by our mom. We had no significant relationship with our dad. The only time we saw him, he was actually very unkind and unhelpful. And so what you judge a man by is kind of an anti, like don't do what I've seen in these other contexts. In that way, we're establishing patterns for manhood and reaction to what we've seen. We've seen a hyper-masculinized man that we don't like. Hyper-masculinity is where we have this John Wayne for Jesus mentality. You know, real men don't cry. They drive four by four trucks. They're kind of rude with their words. They watch football. They bark orders at people. There used to be this show back in the 90s with Tim the Toolman Taylor. And there would be these moments where he would kind of like react in this visceral manly way and he would start grunting like, art, 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 art. You guys remember this show? Tim the Toolman Taylor, art, art. Are you're working on your car in your garage? You're watching football. Arf, 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 arf. Well, that's not exactly the way that the Bible is going to portray manhood. And just because that's what you see and that's what you're drawn to, you have to guard against saying, well, that is what it really means to be a man. And anybody that doesn't work on their car in their garage and anybody that doesn't watch football isn't a real man. Arf, 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 arf. Uh, that's one side. But another side is where manhood is so flattened that you don't differentiate between what is a man and what makes a man a man and not a woman. When you flatten manhood so much that you're virtually the same thing as a woman and what you're describing, you're also losing something here. This is where we have effeminate males, males that are very very much like a woman, character traits, social skills, mannerisms, even dress. And you think to yourself, there's something odd about this to me. What is it that's odd about this? Well, if I flatten what is expected of a man and I can't offer the distinction, what makes a man a man and not a woman, now I have trouble. That's where I have effeminate males. Or that's where I have passive males. That's where I have males that lack courage and are weak in those ways. So the answer is not Tim the Toolman Taylor where we say, everybody, get a wrench. We're going to the garage, man. Come on. And the answer is not to flatten malehood to say, well, you know, like we're all equal in God's sight. There's not really a whole lot of distinction. No, there is a distinction. God has created that distinction. And yet we maintain equality between genders. So what does the Bible have to say about manhood? That is the question, because without asking it, we're probably going to come up with the wrong answer about what it means to be a man. And watch this, Jimmy. You didn't think that I'd get back to the subject du jour. How to disagree in a godly way. How to be a Christian man or a Christian woman who says, sorry, that ain't right. I got to tell you, the guy who just keeps flabbergasting me, I I don't know that that is the correct use of the term flabbergast, but Ray Comfort has this unbelievable ability to say, no, that's not right. Why? Because it comes out of him. That's, That's what he is. Nobody would think Ray is a sissy. He's able to say to somebody, no. In other words, he's able to disagree agreeably. This will be a test for you to see if you can do likewise. C.S. Lewis was an individual 
who disagreed agreeably. Why was that a test? Because some of you are familiar with some of the wonky teachings of C.S. Lewis, and you might be going, don't you dare quote C.S. Lewis. I'm not going to quote C.S. Lewis, but we will use him as an individual because the descriptor of him, I I think, is something that we could learn from. Uh, This is from... uh, Bobby Jameson, How to Master the Art of Disagreement in the Church and on Social Media. This is from a student, a former student of C.S. Lewis. And again, this is not an endorsement of C.S. Lewis, but this is perhaps something to ask about ourselves. Do people still like me when I'm done disagreeing with them? Quote, the best teacher I ever had and the best colleague, he did not ask or expect me to share his convictions. Well, that could be wrong, too. His manner might be described as politely merciless. His twin passions by then, apart from literature itself, were people and arguments. But he did not often mistake and confuse the two. He had vigor without venom. He was generous. If I were ever to be asked what I learned from him, that would be my reply. The art of disagreement. Can we disagree in a way that does not compromise? That's the challenge, isn't it? Because you feel like if you're nice, you're actually ceding ground. You're agreeing with them. And you're not. You're striving for being like Jesus. Here are some tips to help us determine when to engage and how to engage. How important is the issue? How big is it? Seriously. And might I just suggest a category distinction might be helpful. Inside of biblical Christianity, you've got yourself some categories. You've got essentials. We, we can't disagree on those and get stay together. There's no unity there. Secondary, we can. We might not be able, probably can't do church together. Tertiary, no, we can just, we can just have a great discussion over dinner and not come to fisticuffs. But let me suggest there's some other categories that sometimes fall underneath theological. I grant you that. Social, political, and cultural issues. You're going to have Christians with differences of opinion about how strong our military should be, uh, about the direction of of the country when it comes to racial issues. Now, these are some, these are some big topics, but they aren't theological. They're important, and we do discuss them, but they're not anywhere near the level of essential or even secondary and perhaps not even tertiary. They're just totally outside of that realm. And those are the places where we can just say, I really don't think that I am going to call this guy names be ob- not pound my fists on the table because we're not even talking theology here. How important is the issue? Uh, that is step one. That's like getting your white belt, maybe your yellow belt, as we seek to get a black belt in the art of disagreement next on Wretched Radio. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa. 
And the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Wretched Radio today. You know that feeling you get when you discover something so amazing you just can't keep it to yourself? Well, that's how we feel about the life-changing gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're on a mission to share that good news with millions of people all over the world. And we are grateful for your support when you listen to or view our resources and programs like Wretched, Road Trip to Truth, and Transformed. But we need your help to do even more. Would you prayerfully consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. Don't worry, we're not going to waste your money on buying jets or anything like that. In fact, 83% of every dollar you give goes directly to ministry. And becoming a gospel partner is so easy. Just visit wretched.org slash donate or text the word wretched to the number 44321 and join our efforts in reaching millions with the gospel all over the world. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Sorry to ask you to do some arithmetic, but this is some math that will encourage you and make you very, very happy. This is one testimony of a mother who chose life because she saw her own baby, courtesy of an ultrasound from Preborn. I was terrified. I really didn't know what to do. The first time I saw the ultrasound, I was just amazed. I was like, oh my gosh, is that my baby? And I, like, I heard her heartbeat and I, I just, I just fell in love. If I could care about my daughter this much, if I could love my daughter this much, how much does God love me? Now take that one testimony and multiply it by 54,253 because that is the number of babies that were saved last year because of ultrasounds at preborn centers. Would you please help us grow that number by providing as many ultrasounds as possible at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Know your church fathers. Athanasius was the Bishop of Alexandria in the 4th century. He was a champion of the Church's fight against Arianism and was a chief author of the Nicene Creed. However, his orthodoxy did not equal popularity. Athanasius was exiled no less than five times, but Athanasius chose to honor God instead of man. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Look at me, Jimmy. I'm actually practicing some self-control in here. Just, Just thought I would... Give it a go for a change. Why? Because I don't know what I'm talking about. Not that that usually stops a talk show host. The point is, this is Wretched Radio seeking to get a black belt in the art of disagreement. I was going to say, for the Christian, uh, getting saved, that you get your gi. You're you're covered in the white jumpsuit, but then you're given a belt. And when you got a white belt... You can actually hurt people because you don't know what you're doing. So you practice a lot and then you get higher skill level, which means you could really hurt people. But 
You do it in such a way where it doesn't actually hurt them. Uh, see, it doesn't make any sense. Just all kind of <laughs> fell apart right there. But the point is, we should seek to be those who do win arguments. You shouldn't enter into a disagreement saying, well, all I want to do is lay down on this. We should be willing to learn, especially when it's not a primary issue. We don't give in on primary issues, period. We don't even need to discuss them. I, unless it's some sort of academic exercise, uh, if if I were sitting down to have a meal with Gwen Shamblin, which would be probably a piece of lettuce, <laughs> and she started talking about how the Trinity isn't biblical, waiter, check, please. I don't need to discuss that with an anti-Trinitarian. <laughs> Unless, of course, I wanted to persuade them. When it comes to the essentials, no compromise. We talk about this distinction, by the way, in Wretched Worldview 2 is out. Wretched Worldview 2, it is. No, it's not out yet, is it? Uh, Monday, next week. Wretched Worldview is. <laughs> well, I blew it with the karate thing and with the promo. Well, we've been talking about it on TV. We're kind of ahead okay. over there in the studio. And I get a I get a little confused with what day it is, frankly. Wretched Worldview 2 is going to be out on Monday? Really? Uh, well, the first. So you're wrong, too. Yeah, well. I, you you're know. in good hands here at Wretched Radio. <laughs> when Wretched Worldview 2 comes out, you'll hear us talk about the difference between presuppositions and pre-understandings. Presuppositions are the essentials. Do we need to ditch those at any time? No. You maintain those. Pre-understandings, those go by the wayside temporarily. And it really doesn't matter what the subject matter is. If you want to do a thoroughly biblical job of understanding the subject matter, you get rid of all of your opinions on it based on culture, the time you grew up, the TV shows you watched, the vacations you took. The, pol the political party of your parents, all of it gets cooked in there. You got to just now I'm going to just see what the Bible says about this subject. And then you dive in and you can return to those pre understandings later. But first, you got to become biblical thoroughly. Then you can see how your former pre understandings align with your biblical worldview. That resource will be available Sometime before the end of the year, <laughs> basically, at wretched.org. Is that what we're still calling it? Just yeah. in case we've got that. <laughs> How to master the art of disagreement by one Bobby Jameson. Ask yourself the question, how important is the issue? If it ain't an essential, you just might need to dial back the heat a little bit. Number two, how sure are you of your position? Here is something that I see I'm I can do this myself, so I'm not above this. We tend to read the headlines, don't we? They've all got to be salacious. I, you know, I every time we post a video on social media, it is it is a toothache around here because you got to set your hair on fire. But we just don't want to do that. And watch as Todd dominates, controls, and totally annihilates this university student. Not gonna do it, but. You do have to speak in such a way that it does get people's attention. And that is what they do with headlines. It'll say something like, whatever about the politician that you don't like. And you go, yeah, 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 there it is. And then you tell your friend, hey, did you know that Joe Biden did this? Really? And then they start asking questions and you have to go, I, 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 well, I didn't read the article, so I, I really don't know all the details. We're guilty of that, aren't we? 
we don't always have the facts before we shoot, and we should. Number three, can reasonable Christians disagree? You disagree with some Christians? Okay, you correctly believe in believer's baptism. Do you think R.C. Sproul was stupid? No, brilliant guy. R.C. Sproul is like Jonathan Edwards level. There are some of those still to these. They're just bigger brain than the rest of us. R.C. Sproul believed in pedo-baptism. I, I if anybody could call anybody dumb, he would call me dumb. That, and that would stick. <laughs> that would be accurate. But I can't say that R.C. Sproul was dumb because he's arrived at a different position on baptism. We got to ask ourselves the question, is this something that an, a Christian could reasonably conclude? In other words, oh, come on with the sprinkling, the water, and the covenants. What? We don't need to do that. How large is your store of intellectual sympathy? Can you put down the megaphone long enough to hop into someone else's point of view and take a long, slow look around from the inside? We don't like this because everything is lickety split these days. It's today's news. Well, maybe it doesn't even make it to lunchtime. I've got to render a verdict, say my piece, and get on to the next headline. Put yourself in their shoes. How do they arrive at this conclusion? Four. Can we disagree and be members of the same church? There are sometimes you, you, you can't. Sometimes you can't. And it really has to do with the outworking of the theology. So, for instance, roles of women in the church. Baptism, I think, is another one. I, I would just find it really confusing if I were raising kids and I believed in believer's baptism and they baptized babies. Because then my kid is going to go, well, why can't I be baptized? Well, because you see... The covenant of the, oh, never mind. It just becomes difficult. Number five, am I prizing the argument above the person? Got to be careful on this one because truth is in the preeminent position. If we lose friends because of truth regarding the essentials, that's unfortunate, but we are willing to accept that. That isn't the level that this individual is warning us about. We're, we're talking about pet issues secondary, tertiary issues. I, I, I've got truth and preeminent position, but that doesn't come at the exclusion of the person. I care about them. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season how good it is. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. In other words, the Proverbs lay down how we should go about the business of changing somebody's mind. And it's with a word fitly spoken. And it's like apples of gold in a setting of silver, patiently persuading, because we want to actually win the person, not just the argument. Number six, am I prizing the issue above the unity of the church? We can't be a factious person. If you are, be warned. You get one warning, second time you're out. It's so bad for a church. The individual, and you've probably seen this individual, just everything, everything, no matter what the Sunday school teachers, every issue. No, you shouldn't have used that preposition. On and on they go. Be warned. Number seven, is this the right time and place for this conversation? Maybe you don't need to comment. Maybe you don't need to say anything now. Maybe you don't need to be on the internet where it can get pretty nasty. Can it? Number eight, how can I disagree in such a way that we leave more unified 
not less. Remember, we're talking about non-essential issues here. We have to have those goals in mind. Fascinating article from a Yale University junior. The title from Yale Daily News is Abort the Conversation. Listen to what she wrote. One of the angriest moments <laughs> I've had at Yale was last year's Bulldog Days when I saw a table that was manned by members of a pro-life group grouped around the table, which was spread with sonograms, fetal diagrams, good stuff. The students were inviting passersby to engage in logical debates about fetal personhood and abortion ethics. They were polite. They held their voices low, and they spoke slowly and calmly. They had relaxed, open smiles. Now, that is that is something I got to tell you. I I, I got to work on that because hey, we're talking about babies' lives here. I love the response. Would you like to discuss this? Let's talk about it respectfully. They insisted. We can debate about this. Their smug civility was infuriating. <laughs> I could barely seethe out my opinion about the misogyny. Well, here comes the therapeutic language. Their words were inflammatory. Simpering, the male students gestured to the only female student with them. Their wide, innocent eyes asked the unspoken question, how could they possibly be misogynist when one of their club members was a woman? All right. This woman got tied in knots. Because she couldn't stand how pleasant they were. That's going to happen. There's no guarantees. A gentle offer, a word can turn away wrath. Sometimes it just, it, it can stoke it. Nevertheless, it's what we're called to. Don't know about you, but I got a ways to go and get my black belt in the art of disagreement. This is Wretched Radio. It's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. We start with a heartwarming display of familial love as President Joe Biden recently reminded us that there's no such thing as someone else's child. No, our nation's children are all our children. Touching Joe, but I kind of wonder how that lines up with your policies on baby murder. Meanwhile, in the land of tulips, windmills, and euthanasia, that's the Netherlands in case you were wondering, they've made the compassionate, yes, compassionate decision to legalize parents euthanizing their sick children at any age. That's a pretty significant expansion of the country's already liberal euthanasia laws, which previously allowed the practice for minors 12 and older with parental consent. Don't know about you, but I'm starting to see a pattern with all these our children sentiments. Disney is performing a second round of layoffs, unfortunately, which brings the total job cuts to 4,000 in recent weeks. The third round is also expected sometime this summer, which results in another 3,000 cuts. The job cuts are part of a larger company reorganization, which expects to save around $5.5 billion. I think Disney's starting to realize the whole Hakuna Matata concept only worked in a non-woke world. When you go woke, you do have to worry that you're going to go, well, you know how the rest of it goes. 
Protests recently disrupted the Montana House due to a standoff involving a lawmaker by the name of John Fuller. Protesters demanded Fuller's resignation because he proposed legislation that would ban gender-affirming surgeries for minors and restrict transgender athletes' participation in sports. The situation escalated when a group of protesters occupied the House chambers, which led to a tense standoff with law enforcement. So, protesters occupying the House chambers. Ah, it doesn't matter. They were on the left. It's got to be okay. In a new survey, we learned that less than half of born-again Christians say Jesus lived a sinless life. The survey revealed that only 41% of respondents who identified as born-again believers believe in the sinlessness of Christ. Can you really consider yourself truly saved from the wrath your sin requires if the one who took the punishment of your sin was also an unqualified sinner like you? This actually raises deeper questions of biblical literacy and people being falsely assured of salvation. In the ongoing United Methodist Church drama, 264 Tennessee churches have now decided to leave the UMC. The decision comes as a response to the denomination's recent debates over same-sex marriage and the ordination of LGBTQ clergy. As hundreds of churches have sought to separate from the UMC, they are joining the new Global Methodist Church, which upholds a more conservative, orthodox interpretation of Scripture. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio, straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Important Dates in Christian History 325 A.D. The Council of Nicaea was called to address debates perplexing the church, primarily concerning the nature of Jesus. The Nicene Creed was drafted and is still one of the standards of orthodoxy among Christians. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Go ahead, call me lazy, but this is really good. This is Wretched Radio. Dr. Greg Gifford is hosting the Transform podcast. It is biblical counseling applied to you. Uh, This week, especially if you are a dude, you will appreciate a three-part lecture on what does it mean to be a man in a world that tells you that it should be a girl or you should be gender-free. By the way, did you see this is... This might be the statue that historians say, yeah, this pretty much captures the zeitgeist. It is in Belgium, I believe. It was the former Museum of Women or for Women. Now it's the Gender Museum. And it is a picture of a naked man who is breastfeeding a baby whilst uh, donning a beard, man bun. That was perfect. And, of course, his uh, male body parts. There you have it. Right there. We live in a world that is very confused about masculinity. Everything is toxic. You're all toxic. Anything that is deemed male is automatically bad. It ain't easy, especially if you're growing up when there's a lot of voices clamoring to define how you should behave. Let's listen to Dr. Greg Gifford. Transform podcast. Get it at your podcast thingy-majig that you have, and you will hear how we go about the business of acting like men. You know, like Paul said, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Okay, well, Paul is writing to a mixed gendered church, so this isn't just male or female. 
And yet he finishes by saying, act like men and be strong. Okay, what does Paul mean? Like, I, I need to learn how to spit a loogie? You know, ah, is that, I got it, Paul. I'm so manly it's now. A part of it, isn't it? Where's my camouflage jacket, Paul? I'm putting it on. I'm getting my four-wheel drive engaged here on a sunny day. Is that what he's saying? In in 1 Corinthians 16, he is speaking to the fact that you are to be courageous. To act like a man is to be courageous. The first character trait that I would put before you of what it means to be a man and not a woman is that God calls men to be courageous. At the tip of the spear of being a godly man is that you are a man who is emboldened by knowing who you are in Christ and who God is. Think of courage for a second. Now, does this mean, ladies, ladies that are listening to this, ladies, no, you don't need to be courageous. Just be fearful. The opposite. No. Oh, this is not distinctively saying that a, a woman will not exhibit courage in any way. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. You can't make that argument by an inverse reduction here. But what he is saying is that a man is to be courageous. You need to act like men. You need to be strong. Let me describe a scenario for you that hopefully kind of gives you the heebie-jeebies. Imagine that I'm walking and I'm walking in town. There happens to be uh, another lady from church there with her friend. And as we're leaving a restaurant, I say, oh, hey, hello. We begin to walk. As we're walking down the sidewalk, a a gentleman in a, a hoodie and a mask comes up to us. And he says, hey, look, give me your money. And I say, no. And I push the two women that are next to me toward the assailant. And I take off running. And I say, later, ladies. <laughs> you deal with it. I'm faster than you anyways. In that moment, you're like, Dr. Gifford, you are sick. What is the matter with you? Because in that moment, you have experienced a lack of courage on behalf of a man. In fact, that's not only a lack of courage, it's, it's in some way like a traitor. You have used other people to protect yourself. What do we call that? We call that manipulation or we call that extreme selfishness. That circumstance is so wrong because I lacked courage in that circumstance. Now let's replay the scenario. Scenario comes, oh, hello ladies. How was dinner for you guys? Great. As we're walking, hooded man comes up and says, give me your money. And I say, not today, mister. Ladies, you guys can hit the road. Watch out, watch out, watch out. That's me karate chopping people, if you guys are wondering. Why well, I was. And then they get out of there safely. I probably get beat up in the process, but I have protected those women on that particular occasion. In that moment, it's noble for me to even sacrifice my own safety to be courageous to protect these ladies and, and you think, yeah, that's what a man should do. But why do you think that? Why is that a legitimate expectation of a man? Because a man is to be courageous. And when a man lacks courage, he is acting in an unmanly way. When a man uses others to protect himself, we're now talking about something that is unmanly. Instead of being courageous, you were fearful. Or instead of being courageous, you were timid. Uh, To be courageous doesn't mean that you want to confront a guy who is being mean to women. It means that you're willing to be bold in the face of danger, if necessary. I have no special obligation. I'm not married to those ladies, and, and they're not my sister. I have two sisters. They're not either of my sister, but you know there's a problem. 
if I were to push those two ladies towards the assailant and take off because I'm not being courageous. Courage is what is expected of a man. When a man is to be courageous, first of all, this courage isn't something that is found in his own capacities. There are men that don't mind getting into a scrap, and that's the term brawler. In fact, that term brawler is something that you cannot be and be a spiritual leader in a church. Have you thought about that? Sometimes we equate being courageous with a, a man who wants to scrap all the time. It's like, hey, you say something to me? No. Yeah, you did. Okay, we're going to fight. That's not manhood. That's not what courage looks like in manhood. That's a brawler. That's a person that's quick-tempered or impatient. Courage that's demonstrated by a man is not in his own capacities. It's a confidence in knowing who God is and how God informs his own personal responses. So remember the times where you were called to be courageous. Courage is founded on behalf of what God has done. So Joshua is preparing to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And what takes place is he says, be strong and courageous. Why are you strong and courageous? Because God is with you. Let me read for you verse nine of Joshua chapter one. Have I not commanded you be strong? And courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Courage isn't founded upon a man's aptitude or ability. Courage is girded and it's founded upon the Lord's presence being with you. The Lord is the one that makes you bold. He's the one that makes you confident. Not confident in your own capacities, but confident in who he is. A man is unmanly when he's not courageous, but how is he manly? when he is courageous by understanding God's with him. That presence of the Lord informs his response now. Why can I be courageous at work? Because I know God's with me. Why can I be courageous in difficult circumstances? I know God's with me. As a man, when you're courageous in the face of adversity, in the face of times that could actually be a little scary, what emboldens you? Well, it shouldn't be that you think, well, man, I'm really capable. Look how many degrees I have. Wow. That's not what we take courage in. We take courage in understanding that God is with us. And as a Christian, that promise brings great stability. There are circumstances that are frightening in our life. And as a man, we have to be realistic about that. The things that frighten me are probably things that frighten some of you gentlemen. I'm not necessarily afraid of the boogeyman breaking into my house. And I'm not necessarily afraid of and, and meeting some type of natural disaster. Those aren't the things that frighten me. The things that frighten me are when a kid gets sick or the thing that frightens me is if my wife gets sick. Health issues in my family, those frighten me. There are times when financial challenges frighten me and we say, I don't know how this is going to work. How do we maintain a bold posture in those times? It's not by saying, well, I'm super smart and I have lots of degrees and everything's going to be okay, sweetie. It's by understanding who God is. And as a single man, you're facing challenges that are similar, where there is loneliness that you have to think through. There's times of feeling kind of marginalized by the church and by other relationships. You're on the outside of things at times. And what makes you courageous is not going to be a higher view of yourself. What makes you courageous is knowing who God is. One of the first aspects of what it means to be a man is that you're courageous. The only confusion I have in all of this, Jimmy, where does the hucking up a loogie <laughs> actually 
could we grab that as a show open somehow and incorporate that so I can <laughs> hear Dr. Gifford say hakalugi on a regular basis. If you are not listening to the Transform podcast, I am telling you, you're missing something. You, This is, uh, honestly, this is the finest application of the Bible to your life of anything that I've ever heard. You can get it at your Spotify, your Apple, your Google, your what have you. And once again, I would encourage all of us, if we want to get this right, it's not enough to listen to a podcast. It is not enough to go about the business of trying to figure this all out by myself. We've got to do this in the context of community. And that community, of course, is our local church, because I'm going to biff it. I'm going to get it wrong. Our pendulums, they swing constantly. All right, I'm going to be a manly man. And then we go about the business of becoming obnoxious or we get too squishy. And we need one another to say, yo, bro, this is Wretched Radio. Like the Pointer Sisters, I am so excited and I just can't hide it. The Masters Academy International is embarking on a bold new program to distribute Bibles internationally. There are oh so many wretched people who love to give to ministries who are giving out Bibles. And the Masters Academy International is going to start doing just that in the Philippines. But they don't want to give out just any Bible to just anybody. They're going to give away John MacArthur Study Bibles to Christians who cannot afford them in a local Bible teaching church. Can you imagine the impact? How much do you love your MacArthur Study Bible? For $25, you could put a Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines. I'll do the math. It's not tricky. Four Bibles, $100. Maybe you could commit to giving a Bible a month to a believer in the Philippines. Please visit wretched.org slash Bible, wretched.org slash Bible to join the Master's Academy International. Have you ever felt like you're on an emotional roller coaster? It's okay to admit it because we've all been there and some of us are there now. Well, saddle up, buckle up, strap up, whatever it is you prefer. Just tune in to Transform with Dr. Greg Gifford. It's the podcast you quite possibly have been waiting for because it's the place where anxiety, loneliness, depression, and fear come face to face with the Bible. And don't expect Dr. Gifford to just read scripture. No, he wrestles with it and applies it to challenges we all face. Trust me, this podcast, it's a game changer. And it must be for me to say game changer because I loathe that phrase. But that's exactly what Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford is. It'll help you and it will empower you to help others too. You'll be throwing out biblical wisdom like you're in Solomon's Court. New episodes, they drop every Saturday morning at transform.org slash podcast or wherever you usually listen to podcasts. Trust me, you'll be glad you listened. I know how you're feeling at the thought of switching from traditional health insurance to MediShare, which is affordable biblical health sharing. That's a big decision, and it can be kind of scary, which is why Mrs. Freel and I researched MediShare and determined, yeah, we can trust this ministry. Christians paying for the health needs of other Christians. It's a magnificent ministry. 98% member satisfaction rate. It's amazing. The average family saves 
$500 per month. If that sounds intriguing, and I hope it does, please do your research. Visit metashare.com slash wretched, metashare.com slash wretched, or call them and talk to a really nice person at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Books of the Bible The book of Joshua tells of the conquest and division of the promised land. There are two consistent themes in Joshua, God's faithfulness and his aversion to unfaithfulness. When you wonder how committed God is to his people or doubt the seriousness of idolatry, let Joshua remind you that your God is a jealous God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. That's why you need good arch support. This is Wretched Radio. Not really spanning the globe as much as reading your emails sent to idea at wretched.org with oodles, oh, interesting stories of Christian interest, but they're not really thematic. So we put them together in one pile, play some music that we don't have to pay royalties for, and we call it Wide World of Christian Stuff. That was, that was, that was, that was pretty good. The way that I, with the music ramping up yeah. like that, and I kind of... You're a pro. Is this wrecking it? Me actually applauding myself for actually kind of <laughs> nailing something for a change? This is Wretched Radio. Let's go to Canada, shall we? British Columbia. Cool. Uh, the government that provides contraception for everybody, including the birth control pill, injections, implants, IUDs, emergency contraception, you mean an abortifacient is what you mean? Can anybody explain the Supreme Court kicking the can down the street on the morning after pill? Can anybody that they overturn Roe v. Wade, but we're going to kind of not weigh in on whether or not a woman can order a pill in the mail to terminate the life of her child. I just don't get it. British Columbia. <laughs> Apparently determining. I th- Wait a second. What did the government has no business in my bedroom? What happened to that? Mo- oh, this is this is something that progressives like in Tennessee. The House approves a bill targeting publishers for sending schools sexually explicit books that we need such a thing. Nevertheless, it's on the way to Governor Bill. He may have signed it by now. Seventy one to twenty two vote. Jimmy. Yes. You left Tennessee too <laughs> soon. I'm telling you. When you're when you're talking about Governor Abrams, you're going to be longing for the hills of Tennessee. I'm just telling you that. 71 to 22, they said you cannot send stuff to schools. The Tennessee Association of School Librarians opposed the bill. No, the librarians, they have an agenda. No, I can't believe it. TASLs, that would be your Tennessee something or another. Legislative Committee noted that the bill could impact book publishers and distributors' willingness to work with school districts in Tennessee. No, as long as you keep buying, they'll keep selling. I promise. It creates an unnecessary bureaucracy. Since when have the schools not liked bureaucracy? It's about all they are these days. Limits students' access to books and leaves us with lots of questions. Yeah, 
What do you think we thought about Obamacare? The point is, last year, the legislator passed the Age-Appropriate Materials Act, which requires each public and public charter school to maintain a list of materials and periodically review items to ensure they are appropriate for students' age and maturity levels and remove anything inappropriate. Salute to Tennessee for having a modicum of sense. Well, what was the thing that just passed down in Florida that they can't do uh, the indoctrination of gender stuff Till uh, all through 12th grade. Did you happen to talk about that? Do you remember the details on that? I, I don't remember the exact details, but yeah, it was it was from kindergarten to 12th grade. Where they said, no. That's right. Reading, writing, arithmetic, which means that if you say arithmetic, you're not doing a good job with reading and writing. Did you see the UN report? Hey, this is really cool. I read it myself because... You can't just read a headline these days. And I have to agree, uh, the papers that are commenting on this, this is from live action. It does appear the headline is right. UN, a report calls for decriminalization of all sexual activity, including between adults and children. Cool. Quote, this is UN. With respect to the enforcement of criminal law, any prescribed minimum age of consent to sex must be applied in a non-discriminatory manner. Oh, we, we don't want to discriminate. Enforcement may not be linked to the sex gender of participants or age of consent to marriage. What? Moreover, sexual conduct involving persons below the domestically prescribed minimum age of consent to sex may be consensual. They didn't stop. In fact, if not... In law, in this this context, the enforcement of criminal law should reflect the rights and capacity of persons under 18 to make decisions about engaging in consensual sexual conduct and their right to be heard in matters concerning them. There's the old therapeutic self. We got to do everything. You can't deny a 14-year-old will feel terrible if you don't let him be abused by a 20-year-old. This is the therapeutic autonomous age that we live in Washington to allow people to let their kids be taken away to have their kids taken away legally. If you don't consent to gender transition, we know better than you parent Washington state passed a bill allowed children to legally be taken away from their parents for not consenting to gender transition procedures on their child. I'm thinking about that skit, uh, that satire last week from uh, Carpe Latin word. Not DM, Carpe something. Oh, I remember it, but I don't know what it means, so I'm not going to say it because I don't want to be swearing in Latin. It was satire. I'm a teacher in a public school, and my children have been introduced to the first time to a Christian. So I'm teaching them what it feels like to be a Christian. And if you feel like that, then you should become a Christian. Great satire, because that's exactly what the teachers do with kids. A bill was passed that says, if you try to obstruct your child from getting mutilated, well, your kids can be taken away. According to Senate Bill 5599, shelters could contact the development of children, youth, and families instead of parents for minors seeking reproductive health services or gender-affirming care. A follow-up to Mr. Beast. 
his sidekick, Chris, decided, I want to be Christine. And so he is, I don't know what he's doing with his wife and with his son. Oh, I do know. (laughs) He's treating them horribly is what he's doing. And Mr. Beast apparently is showing his true colors. That was an ironic reference to Cindy Lauper right there. And saying, hey, I'm sick of you transgender phobes. Mr. Beast tweeted, this is getting absurd. Chris isn't my nightmare. He's my bleeping friend and things are fine. All this transphobia is starting to bleep, bleep, bleep. Well, there you go. The most popular YouTuber in the world is going to be promoting transgenderism to your kid. You should know about it, mom and dad, because your kids probably watch it. Hey, I found it, Jimmy. Florida bans teaching of gender identity sexuality through 12th grade. Glad I could get that straightened out. Hey, this is exciting. This was sent in from Daniel. Scientists think that they've got evolution nailed. They figured out evolution. Here's how they did it by creating. Just just giving us a moment to drink that word in. (laughs) We figured out evolution by creating a chicken dinosaur. Well, see, here's, here's the flaw in your premise. You're trying to teach an unguided principle of advancement of species and you had to create it to prove it hmm hmm so what we've got are scientists using pre-existing stuff to mathematically make something and say that that's how a non-mathematical intelligent process actually happened i'm tracking with you scientists (laughs) look at this headline cnn (laughs) hey jimmy yes what do you say after the show we go have some of that hot ice cream that sounds good to me (laughs) hot ice yeah we'll go to the park together and we'll we'll pet that that really adorable dog cat that that gets walked over there yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) here's a headline what should couples do when considering ethical non-monogamy well (laughs) I don't know. 2020 study of 820, 822 currently monogamous people. This is the Kinsey Institute. Keep that in mind. Nearly one third said that having an open relationship was their favorite fantasy and 80% wanted to act on it. Just do it ethically. Why get married in the first place? If you want to do that with a bunch of people, how's about You just don't besmirch the institution more than it already has been. (laughs) By the way, this is from New York-based sex therapist, stating, in my experience, gay and queer couples have more ease with non-monogamy. Jimmy, that is shocking (laughs) what that is. Quote, this, this, I just love it when people with advanced degrees, they try to string together a bunch of fancy words (laughs) to mask nonsense. Here's one. They've had to do more introspection and communication around their sexual or gender identity. This additional time spent understanding who they are, what they want, and learning how to communicate it dovetails very smoothly into communicating about non-monogamy. Oh, okay. I got I got that there. Sounded really smart, so I I guess it's okay. By the way, did you hear the therapeutic language? They've thought about who they are, and so They've just got to be me. They've got to act on what they feel on the inside. The language of the therapeutic in the autonomous world that we live in. 
Until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>